Hey everybody, welcome back to Discover Spring Ford. Today is a super exciting time for me as we sit down with the president of Spring Ford Area Historical Society, William Bruner. I'm Jeff Desiato, a local realtor, aspiring actor, and transplant to the Spring Ford area. And I'm on a mission to find the best that Spring Ford has to offer. I'll be interviewing local business owners, civil servants, and other prominent members of the community to find out what makes Springford a great place to live, work, eat, and explore. I invite you to join me on my journey as I discover Springford. We have a lot of information on Spring City Aurora Ford. The only thing, uh, if, if you're looking for a lot of information on Limerick, we have the book that Muriel Lichtenwalder did on, on, on Limerick, but they have, a, they have their own historical society. Yeah. So somebody comes in here looking for something specifically on Limerick, I have no problem referring them to Limerick Historical Society. The problem that we have is Oaks and Montclair are in the Springford School District, but they're a pretty good distance yeah. from Spring City Aurora's Ford. And uh, occasionally we'll get someone that'll come in and uh, they'll want to know something about Montclair or they'll want to know something about Oaks. Now, I have my postcard background. I have all my postcards on the computer, and I can look up old postcards. But as far as the history, the canal comes through Montclair. So we, we have a lot of, yeah. lot of interest on there. But sometimes I'll have people come here looking for information on those two specific areas. And I'll feel I'll do research for them, but I can't put my finger on something right away because they're in the school district, but they're not in our Springford area. Covers just outside Lake Lakeview Park. Yeah, I wrote stories about Lakeview Park. It, it's mostly in Limerick, Fernwood <coughs> Cemetery. You saw the sign out there when yeah. you come in, Fernwood Cemetery. Started back in 1890, I guess it was. There was five men from Roar's Ford. Lewin, the man that built this house, was one of the five. They bought the ground, the old Fernwood Farm, and they made a cemetery out there. But the cemetery sits right outside the borough of Roar's Ford. It's Limerick yeah. Township. Now, a few years ago, a developer came in and bought the cemetery. He didn't buy the cemetery because he wanted to have a cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> he bought the ground because he wanted to build the hotel that's out there and the Outback Steakhouse. And that's why he bought it. And he built the buildings. They were they were developed. The, the, you know, I, I go to the Outback. Yeah. <laughs> and put up a line of trees to kind of hide the cemetery. The old chapel that used to sit there tore that down. A lot of people were sorry to yeah. see it go, but they tore the chapel down. And then they took the Fernwood Cemetery sign, which sat up on big stone pillars, and they took it down. And one of our members, Dick Marshall, who lives over on Arch Street, same street that I live on, came driving by, and there was a bulldozer pushing this sign and rolling up into a ball. And Dick got out and said, what are you doing? Oh, he says, I'm a contractor. They hired me to take the sign down. Well, Dick says, well, can I have it? 
And the guy said, well, if, if you can haul it, you can have it. So Dick got a friend of his that, that had a flatbed, and three men went over, and they loaded this thing on the flatbed, and they took it back to Dick's house. <laughs> and he spent a couple of months flattening it, because it, it was rolled up into a ball. And oh, he, my gosh. He flattened it, welded it, sanded it, worked on it. And when he got it all done, he said to me, Billy says, I don't really want it. Can we put it at the museum? I said, bring it over. So they brought it over, and they bought cast iron, not cast, well, they're, they're cast iron. We bought big iron posts, <clears throat> cemented them into the ground. We put the sign up here, and then uh, we had a, one, one year we had a, a intern, a, a fellow that came, that worked here during the summer, and I had him sand it all off and painted it, and we painted it black, and then we got gold paint for the lettering, got it all fixed up, and we salvaged the sign from Fernwood. There are peop people still being buried there, Wow, 4,000 people at Fernwood, but the sign is gone, and Same I have here. taken over the past, I don't know, seven, eight years, a lot of flack, because I have people that come in here, I have one lady who was a fifth grade school teacher from Phoenixville. I thought she was going to hit me. <laughs> she, she was yelling, and the people out in the parking lot come running in and said, you need to see the president. He'll tell you. He'll talk to you. They come running in and sent me out. Yeah. <laughs> sent me out into the lion's den. <laughs> and uh, I went out, and she, was, she had herself all worked up about, why don't you put that sign back where it belongs, and what are you doing with it, and I have people buried there. And, she, and I said, look, I said, they had already rolled it in a ball. It was being scrapped out. Yeah. I said, we saved it. Once we got it fixed up, we put it here. People can still see it. Now, I said, here's the problem. If the owner of that cemetery wants the sign back and he's going to put it back up, we'll give it to him. Yeah. I said, you as a person that has people buried there, if you want to start a crusade, you, if you want to get <laughs> a group of people, and, yeah, yeah. If, yeah you, and you want to work on him to do that, be my guest. I said, I was involved with saving the sign. I don't intend to go over there and knock on his door <laughs> and do your business. Yeah. You want the sign back there, I'm telling you right now, we're going to give it to him. But you got to get that done. I'm not getting yeah. that done. But that's only one. I've had yeah. I've had several people that have really been upset. Wow. That that we have the sign. Yeah, they don't know the story of how they, it. They came. don't. Yeah. They don't know how it got there. They don't yeah. know that it was most of the people. Anyway, yeah. let me tell you something. Most of the people that are buried there, and I can say this for a fact, most of them were from Roars Ford. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. It, it's the biggest cemetery. Yeah. There is none in, well, I shouldn't, I don't want to say that. As yeah. soon as I say that, there's a little yeah. <laughs> Dismont Cemetery yeah. is in the bar. There, 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 it's the big, big cemetery yeah. for Roar's Four. Tell me a little bit about Lakeview Amusement Park, because I see a lot of the banners and stuff like Lake, that. Lake Where View, was that located specifically? Lake, Lakeview was right down here for Marshalls and Coles. Oh, okay. Okay, and uh, back in 1900, uh, Benjamin Kern came over and bought a piece of ground there and. Uh, Limerick Township, which borders right on the borderline of Roarsford Borough, and he started on his farm to mine ice. He cut ice off the lake, and he sold it 
in Norris Ford had a horse and buggy, took ice around before people had refrigerators, they had ice boxes. And then in 1921, people started buying electric refrigerators, they became popular, his ice business <laughs> plummeted. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't sell ice when you got an electric refrigerator. <laughs> and so he bought himself a little motorboat, gasoline powered motorboat, and he rode around his lake. Now lake, the lake was a big lake. It's a little pond now, but it was yeah. a big lake, spring-fed lake. I think he said six acres or something. It's a seven-acre, seven-acre lake on the poster. Oh, wow. That may be exaggerated, yeah. but it was, it was a big lake. Well, he was riding his boat around on the lake, and people came downtown Shipline Road. Now, this is 1921. Some of them were in cars. Some of them were still riding horses and buggies. But they come down in 1921, and they saw this motorboat riding around the lake. That's, you know, motorboats in Roar's Ford are rare. Right. <laughs> and he, they pulled in and they watched, and he looked over, and there's about 14 cars parked out there in the field watching him and, with the boat. And he called them over, and he said, you want to go for a ride? Yeah. So he started taking people for a ride around the lake. Crowds got bigger, and then he started charging them a nickel. Yeah. No more free rides. That's right. <laughs> then he went home and he told his wife, he said, you know, he said, I think we got something here. People are coming and paying me a nickel to ride on this boat. He says, I think we can open up a park. And that was actually in the early 20s. Uh -huh. That was the beginning of Lakeview Park. And he added some rides and a picnic grove and swimming in the lake. And it became a popular spot. And a lot of the companies and, and whatnot would have their family picnics and get-togethers yeah. over there. And then uh, his son took it over for a short period of time. And then he sold it to Vitabli, the brothers. And they really built it into what most people that are still remember Lakeview. They put in all the rides and they brought the carousel in the roller coaster and they made it into what we call a, a more modern day amusement park. It was never on the level of Willow Grove or Dorney Park, but right. it, was, it was an amusement park. <clears throat> and people here in Norris Ford went to the amusement park. And then it, it, it ended up uh, going by the wayside. Right. Uh, it deteriorated and I think uh, in 91 they had the final auction of all the rides. They sold the carousel about five years earlier, but they just couldn't make a go of it. The, the, the insurance for the liability on the rides, that yeah. was sky high. The rides themselves, some of them cost 500000 for a ride. It, it, was, it was just uh, the, the cost, what was there, yeah. but the, the money, the income wasn't. So it, it closed up. Yeah, and uh, now but, it's, it's uh, been developed into the, the only, shopping center. The only thing yeah. left of Lakeview Park now there's a little pond out there with a few geese on it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's a Lakeview Drive and there's a couple names around town. But yeah. at this point, people don't know <laughs> that there was an amusement park there. Yeah. You, you know, I, I have a problem with my age because we have young high school kids occasionally take a tour. And I'll start talking about diamond glass. Yeah. And they'll look at me like, Diamond glass. Yeah. <laughs> What's diamond? Oh well, that closed in the eighties. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That was before you were born. Yeah. And, so you have to give them the whole history and, and, of that on top of it. And basically, ninety percent of what I talk about, if I'm talking to youngsters, it's before they were born. Yeah. And and then the real challenge, which I, I'm not good at, is when they bring in the the Cub Scout groups. And, uh, <laughs> 
now, now, seven you and eight-year-olds. Do you know where the Schuylkill River is? <laughs> so then that, that becomes a real problem. You know, the only thing you have to do is have a lot of patience and, and you know, walk around. And they'll ask questions, but it, it won't have anything to do with what I want to yeah. answer. <laughs> do you find that when you talk to people that it, it rekindles... Some, maybe they didn't realize how interested they were in the local history, and then when you talk to them, you can kind of see the light bulb go on a little bit, and they start to be more inquisitive, and they start, to, and that's how they kind of become members, or they start my, subscribing to newsletters and my, things like that. My, along that line, similar to what you're saying, my biggest amazement, it never ceases to amaze me, is that people will come. Uh, last year, I had a, a a nice lady came, and she's in her, I'm guessing age, I just know yeah. people. She's in her 50s, and she lived over on Broad, probably still does, lives on Broad Street in Spring City. And she'd come up, and she'd come in, it was about 2 o'clock, and she's, oh my gosh, this is really something. How long have you been here? Well, I said we moved in in 2000. So we've been here for 17 years. Well, I've lived on Broad Street for 10 years, and I never knew you were here. And, you know, it's like people that travel between Spring City and Norris Ford travel the main streets. Right. We're on the main street. Uh, we, when, when we acquired this building, we, 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 I told you, we were down at the train station. Mm -hmm. Lee Warner was told by the railroad that they were taking the lease. They weren't going to let him have the building anymore. Some story about the wires up over, it was they just malarkey, yeah. <laughs> it was malarkey. But they made, a, they made us move out. Then we went down to the Spring City Hotel. We were there for like six months. Oh, wow. Then we hooked up with the Bard Community Center here in Roarsford where the library is, and we were given space there. We, were, we rented it for a dollar a month, and we were there. And you had like 12 steps to get up just to the building, and then once you get in the building, there was three more steps to get up to the next level. So many steps and so far away from Main Street that nobody knew we were back there. Right. And we wanted to have a presence. We wanted to be out on the Main Street of town. Now, of course, there's a problem because half your people are from Spring City and half from Morris Fort. And we're going to have to put it in one of the one two of the towns. Two, yeah. <laughs> and the other half is going to be upset. Yeah. That, that's just the way it is. But this property right here the lady that lived here, Thelma Grevy, this fifth generation Lewin family. So it stayed in the family for five generations. Bob Weichel, he was president, uh, he was president for 12 years. I just passed his mark yeah. this year. Bob Weichel was a member of the Lewin family. Uh -huh. Okay. So he was a Lewin. He knew Thelma and Thelma's daughter, who lived up in New England. Thelma told her daughter when she was on her deathbed, don't let them take my house and make it into a parking lot. Yeah. Well, right next door, the house that Bob Weichel lived in, that was a Lewin house, was tore down by the First Federal Bank to put in their parking lot. Kathy Calhoun's parking lot was an old Victorian house. Yeah. <clears throat> she told Bob Weichel, look, Mom doesn't want the house under any circumstances. She doesn't want this house turned into a parking lot. So my only resource is to sell it privately. She said, would your 
historical society liked to buy mom's house. I'll give it to you real cheap. I'll sell it to you for 175000 Well, that's cheap, except we didn't have any money. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're a non-profit. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're, not, we're a non-profit. We, <laughs> yeah. we, 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 and so uh, Bob Weichel uh, put in a grant request to the Bard Foundation. Now, the Bard Foundation gives money to local nonprofits, and it was started by Robert and Agnes Bard. They had the Bard uh, factory here, uh, the business here in Norrisford. They had no children. They started this fund, and uh, it's a foundation, and they give away money to nonprofits in Roarsford. That's been expanded to Springford now, but originally it was Roarsford. Bob put in a grant request. I happened to be here the day that they called. The lady called on the phone. Usually, they send you a letter. You've been awarded a grant. But in this case, they had a proposal. They, they called us up and they said, look, we asked them for 150000 figuring we could come up with the rest of the money. And they called us on the phone and they said, look, uh, we, we can't give you 150. We can only give you 50000 a year for three years. And I'm, 50 plus 50 plus 50, that's 150. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds good. We'll take it. <laughs> so they gave us 150000 However, you noticed how the the old barn over there is all fixed up, the gallery. Well, right. the first thing that happened is when we came over here and looked at the property, we had 41 stoves that we had to put on display. We didn't want to hog up the house. We couldn't put them in the barn because it was a dirt floor. So we said, we ought to fix up the barn, make it into an expanded museum where we could store all of our stoves. To make the story a little longer, <laughs> we ended up spending 100000 wow. fixing up the barn. So now you're looking at 275000 and we got 150. We had a drive, a fun drive, and we had a big thermometer out here out front, and we went around to all the businesses and the people. We asked all of our members, we asked everybody we could for money. And the town, this is back in 2000, very generous, they came forth with $57,000. So you, you, you do the math, and now we're only financing like 70000 so we had a mortgage. So we bought the property with the mortgage. We've been fixing it up, and we've got it in pretty good shape right now. And we paid the mortgage off three years ago. And a lot of the work that you, like, you didn't even go upstairs yeah. yet. All the rooms upstairs, the hallway, our new bathroom downstairs, a lot of the work has been done by Eagle Scout projects. Oh, wow. The Sacred Heart, right down the street, right down there, the Sacred Heart Boy Scout Troop, Troop 231, they have, on the average, if you took over the 17 years that we've been here, if you took an average, we've had at least 20 Eagle Scout projects that were done here on our property. Wow. So the, the, the Scout Troop and the people of the, you know, they're a tight-knit community. When I go to the, um, oh, the ceremony that they have, uh, the name is... <laughs> is it when they become Eagle yeah, Scouts? Or, yeah, yeah. The, Eagle, the Eagle Scout uh, thing. They always ask me uh, to go and tell about the Scout Project. And 
the parents are so involved with the children and they are so friendly and several of them while their sons were doing projects have come up to me and said uh, Mr. Mr. Bruner if you need something let us know we'll come and help you and uh, on a couple of occasions I've called them out on that favor uh, Mr. DePetropala who's a member he said to me he's going to uh, get involved when he retires I keep telling these people I'm not going to live that long <laughs> but uh, he now I, I call him always we have a flag box out here that the scouts put in and it has to be emptied a couple times a year I, I never dreamed that we'd get that many flags and I called him up and I said, you know, remember you told me you'd help me on anything? He said, absolutely. I said, well, our flag box gets filled and I have a hard time getting somebody to come and empty it. I'll take care of that. He comes over, he empties it, he, he gets another key made, and now he takes care of it for me. But when I was uh, uh, court of honor, there you go, oh, I remember you <laughs> When I was at the Boy Scout Court of Honor just this past year, and uh, I get up and I said, said to the people there, I didn't want to upset. I said, "Look, I said, I want to tell you something." I said, "I don't belong to an organized church." I said, "I'm not a Catholic." I said, "I don't talk religion," but I said, "I want to tell you something. If I was going to join a church, I said, <laughs> this is a church I would join." I said. You, your group here is just fantastic. I said, all the people that have offered to help, all the things that you've done for our organization, this, this is my church. Right. The historical, you know, this is where I spend, when, when I retired, people said, well, what are you going to do with yourself? I said, oh, I'm going to take photographs. I'm going to run my garden railway. I'm going to go over to the museum. I, mean, I had no problem retiring. Work was just in my way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have since... Uh, I retired I, uh, two years ago. I dismantled the garden railway. Now it's my wife's flower garden. And uh, I still take, I love to take photographs. But the thing of it was that uh, the, the, the scout organization has done a lot for the historical society. We, we just need to get people. People come, like the lady from Broad Street, and she says, I didn't know you were here. And we have a lot of people that'll come and I'll say, were you ever here before? No. How, where do you live? That's the second question. Where yeah. do you live? Roar, Roar, Spring City. Well, how long have you been there? Oh, I've been there for 20 years. They, I, I can't imagine that people don't know we're here. There were four glass companies, two in Roar, and two in Spring City. In this cabinet, I actually have uh, posters or, or letterheads, letterheads of, the, of each one of the companies. Uh, the biggest company and the one that some people will, will remember would be Diamond Glass. Diamond Glass uh, was here from the 1890s up until when they closed, which I think was in the late 80s or uh, 1980s. Or one of the bottles over here tells you the mm -hmm. last bottle. But uh, let me look and see if That's I can. Right. Last bottle, August, yeah, you can see it. Eight, oh, yeah. 19, was it 1990? 1990, August 24th. Okay, yeah. that, that'll do. Well, that'll that'll work. That's amazing. It, it was it was there for 100 years, so a lot of people heard of diamond glass. If you have a glass bottle that has a diamond on the bottom, nine times out of ten, that was made right here in Orsford at Diamond oh, wow. Glass. That cabinet over there that you're looking at is all whiskey, alcohol, 
rum, whatever, no, not rum, but uh, uh, whiskey, gin, alcoholic beverages. Every one of those bottles was made at Diamond Glass. And uh, so one day I was here at the museum and a guy drove up and he said, I got some diamond glass bottles. Would you like them? I said, oh, sure. And he had boxes full of them. And I said, what are they, all whiskey bottles? He says, yeah. He said, they're all different. And they're all made at the diamond. And I said, well, how did you get them? He said, well, I drank them. I said, well, you did a lot of drinking. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but... We had them packed away for years, and I thought they were so colorful. I kind of liked the art. Oh yeah, them. so <laughs> a lot of big names too. Yeah, we yeah. put. We, I I don't I don't drink alcoholic beverages, but I can appreciate the artwork on the bottle. For sure, they don't make logos like this anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> Let's get all the close-ups here. Yeah, now, Diamond Glass made medicine bottles. They made some bottles, Avon bottles. They made, they, they, you know, they, they made more than just uh, whiskey bottles, but uh, their, their, their products were commercial. And this cabinet here, very interesting, the items in this cabinet are called whimsies. And whimsies are the glass workers that worked in the factories, were skilled glass workers. A lot of them here in Norrisford came from Belgium. They, they come over from Europe. And they worked here in the glass factories, and they were highly talented. And when they got here to the United States, they were making medicine bottles all day. It was, it was kind of boring. But at the end of the shift, after their 12 hours of working, they were allowed to take the molten glass that was left and make little things for themselves. <laughs> so the, the, the uh, flowers, for example, they were made a diamond by the uh, workers, and they would give them to their wife or their girlfriend or their mother, or anybody, and the canes, they made glass canes, a chain, that was made at the diamond. Oh, wow. The glass bottles up top, the green ones, they were made at the uh, Bennett Glass Works. An interesting little bottle there, uh, the green and the uh, uh, cobalt blue are darning bottles, and they were made by Nehemiah Amster. And the darning bottle, uh, we have people come in today, they don't even know what a darning bottle right. is. But uh, grandma would stretch a sock over the, the bottle and sew up the hole uh, uh, that was in the toe of the sock. Uh, okay. and, uh, so Nehemiah Amster, he had his own mold. Uh, and he would, at the end of the shift, whatever color they were running, if they're running green or blue or amber or clear, he might have enough glass in there that he could make 10 or 12 bottles. And he would make those bottles. He took them home. His wife filled them with candy. She put a quirk in the top and she put a little red label sticker on it. And then she put a bow on it and he took it around and he sold it at, at, to the stores. And, you know, if you were going around the store in 1910, you could buy that for a dime. Wow. Those bottles today, when you see them, they sell anywhere between $100 and $200. There's one on eBay right now. I looked at it this morning. <clears throat> I'll buy it now for $175. I think that's a little high, but they are valuable. And uh, I always like, I don't do it anymore, but I used to like to go around to yard sales in Roars Ford in Spring City 
and see one there for a quarter. You know? Oh, yeah. And then People I, don't know what they have in their garage yeah, or in their attic, well, right? I'm very sure that someone would put one out and not know that they have a collectible. Yeah. But those, those things are all called whimsies. Now, the Spring City uh, Glassworks LTD was down on South Main, and they made fancy bottles, a little bit more fancy. Uh, the Bennett Glassworks, which was over in Spring City, uh, they made plate glass. They were the only glass manufacturer in the two towns that made plate glass. And of course, they went out of business uh, early on. It became Ithaca Glass, and they just brought it in in uh, box loads on a box car and, and cut it up and sold it. But the Ithaca Glass was gone by 1930. And same way with the Newborn Glass. Newborn Glass was uh, right above the station on the railroad tracks on the right-hand side. We have a, a, a place there. Well, I think it was a bleach works crazily. And now I think they, I, I forget the name of the place, but they, they launder radioactive uniforms from up at the nuclear plant. You know oh, okay. Yeah, you know, they have a place there that does that. And that sits right on the foundation of what was Newborn Glass Company. And Newborn Glass Company, we have some of their bottles. They made uh, ink bottles and they, uh, the, uh, for Carter ink, and they made sauce bottles. They made a, a number of different bottles. They're, those bottles, are uh, they made battery oil bottles, uh, Edison bottles. They made, they made bottles, and, and their bottles have a, a keystone on the bottom with the letter N, and, and they're, rare. they're rare. You just don't find it. Uh, a Keystone uh, uh, newborn bottle very often. I think there's one up there I found on eBay that was a uh, like a sauce bottle, and I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Ooh. Do you spend a lot of time kind of scouring the internet for things like that just to see I, if you can get lucky? Or? I get up every morning before I get dressed, and I turn on my computer, and I see what <laughs> is happening in Spring City and Aurora's Fort. I've been on the computer since 1998, and I've been monitoring eBay. Uh, they send me an email okay. if something is listed that's either Spring City or Aurora Sport. Oh, wow. And then I have a large file collection by year of every item that is listed and what it is posted for and what it sells for. Uh, this morning I lifted a... Uh, 1939 Roars Ford football program. I didn't bid on it. Yeah. We have them here. We don't have that one. Yeah. But I copied the image and typed it all and put it in a file. So yeah. I've, I've been doing that for 15 years. Wow. The yeah. ones that hurt are the ones that you bid on. And you don't care. And you don't yeah. care. They're, they're, they're the ones that hurt. Yeah. I mean, there, and there's been, there's been a few items. I mean, there was a diamond glass catalog. Uh, we don't have any. And it was uh, from 1917 and had pictures of all the bottles that they made. And said, oh my God, we got to have that. And I, I figured, well, the historical society, they're not going to want to spend a lot of money. But I bid that up to $150 and I didn't get it. Wow. And so, you know, and then there was a, a bottle that I was buying for myself from, from a store in Spring City, a blob top bottle. And I bid that up to 110 and I didn't get it. So, wow. There's stuff that goes high, uh, you know. I guess the, the hope is that whoever won that bid will eventually, you know, donate it <laughs> or something. It'll come back your way at different 
a different uh, means or something. <laughs> you never know. We get to the case back here. Yeah. There's a, an Amster darning bottle that was made at Diamond Glass by Nehemiah Amster. There's one on eBay right now for $175. Wow. And they, they go anywhere between $100 and $200. I mean, it's a collectible, but that, yeah. that's, that's, another, that's another story. We have a Facebook page. I put stuff on Facebook every day. We have a following on Facebook. Doesn't necessarily, I mean, some of those people do come over and visit, yeah. and, but most of the people that are on Facebook and look at what I put on, they enjoy what I put yeah. on, and, and that's like... That's enough for them. Uh, yeah, it's like... Have you gotten a lot of people um, who have since moved out of the area that follow along with the Facebook page? I would imagine that would be kind of a way that they can we, stay connected have, a little we bit. We have people that follow it, and, and uh, some in Florida, and, and different pla people have moved, and, and uh, yes, we do have people, and I recognize their names, yeah. you know, now... Uh, some of the classmates, the girls get married, they get different last yeah. names, but some of them I recognize. Uh, but uh, we, get, we do have a, a large group of, of people, and when I put stuff on uh, that's older, I mean, if I put something on from Allen's Candy Store, oh my God, or Lakeview Park, yeah. Diamond Glass, anything is reasonable. Yeah. But if I put stuff on that I like to talk about, I mean, I like to talk about everything. Yeah. But when I get into the old Yost grist mill, you know, <laughs> well, it burned down in 1884. It's not there anymore. Yeah. You know? And it's long before they're born. And the, these right. things, that these things, are, to me, it's all important. It's all part of the history. Right. But if you do history that people are a part of, everybody remembers Allen's. Right. I remember yeah. Allen's well. Went there. And if you lived in Spring City... I guarantee you, if you were there during the time that Allen's was there, you come across the river to go to Allen's, okay? <laughs> and that's just the, the way it was. Now, over here, this big cabinet, I want to talk about that. <clears throat> sure. And it's Spring City High School, 1935. That cabinet uh, was built by the class, made by the class of 1935 in their shop, and they donated that to the school, a trophy cabinet. Now, the school was built in 1928, so it was only seven years after the school opened. And the school is a red brick building, looks like a castle. There's actually a picture of it in there. I don't know if the, you probably could open that door to get the uh, glare from the thing, but uh, this cabinet was on the verge of being pushed into the hole when they dozed the building. In 1982, oh, really? they took the high school building and they demolished it and they caved it in and pushed all the brick and everything into the basement of the building. And this cabinet was sitting right on the edge, ready to be pushed over. Wow. And Lawrence Shaner happened to be there. He was a local town historian. He was one of the founding board members of the Historical Society. And he was all over town and he was over there when they were demolishing the building, taking pictures. And when they put this there on the edge with the bulldozer ready to push it into the hole, he said, wait, wait, wait. And he said, can I have it? And they laughed. They said, sure, you can have it. Wow. And they put it on the back of a pickup truck and took it to his home on Pikeland Avenue. And his daughter, who lived with him on Pikeland Avenue, she saw it and she said, Dad, what are we going to do with that? <laughs> oh, he said, it looked great right in the middle of the living room. She said, I don't think so. <laughs> and so they put it in the basement and they put it up on blocks and they stored stuff in it. 
and it was in the basement for 40 years. And just recently, last year, Dawn moved to Tel High. And she's still on the board. She's still active. She's an honorary board member, a very uh, dedicated member. And she called me up on the phone. She said, Bill, I have a cabinet. Dad salvaged it from when they <coughs> demolished the school. She says, and now I'm moving. i got to get rid of it. She says, I, I just don't know what to do with it. Do you think you'd want it at the museum? I said, my God, yeah, it will serve two <laughs> purposes. It'll be a centerpiece for me to talk about, <laughs> and it'll be some place to put school items. Yeah, said, that's great. Yeah, we, we wanted it. So the only thing we had to do is uh, we had to uh, have lights put in it, and we had to, the shelves were glass, and they got broke over the years. Yeah, sure. And uh, so we went the uh, inexpensive way, and we put plywood shelves in and covered them with, with uh, felt. But it, it, it's fine. Yeah. This is our school section. And I think I told you, before it was Spring Ford, it was Spring City Roars Ford. Mm -hmm. So what you're going to look at in the cabinet is you're going to look at a bunch of stuff. And the blue and white, that's Spring City. And the orange and black, that's not Halloween, that's Roars Ford. <laughs> Those were the school colors. And the rivalry was tremendous. The footballs in here are Thanksgiving footballs. It's hard for me to think, sad for me to think that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, kids will come in to the museum. I won't be here, but they'll come in and they'll say, what's a Thanksgiving football? What, what is that? Yeah, yeah. And then you'll have to explain to them that at one time we played football on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. And I got these footballs. They were donated by Gene Hanbury. And I had one there, Spring City, 41, worse Ford, nothing. And I'm, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Spring City. I live in Spring City, yeah. so I was all excited. And I, <laughs> I went to put that ball in the cabinet, and two of the members came over and said, when you got one where Roars Ford won, then you can put them in the cabinet. Well, Roars Ford won uh, that one there by a big score. 51 to 7. It yeah, looks like. <laughs> yeah 50, 51 to 7. So when I put the Roars Ford 51 to 7 in, then I could put the Spring City, <laughs> I was able to put them both in. Yeah, so that rivalry, even though yeah. we're all combined, it still uh, stands a little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> a lot of the things that we have, well, all of the things that we have in the cabinets were donated uh, by former class members that came in here and wanted us to have them. Same way with the yearbooks. We pride ourselves in having all the yearbooks. I think we're only missing one now. And we buy one every year from, we order them, uh, and uh, we, we have all the newer yearbooks. And when somebody wants to look at a class yearbook, it's much easier to come to the museum, sit down in a chair, and look at the yearbook that, than what it is, uh, you, you know, to go over to the school. Because right. you go through a little bit of a procedure, the door is locked, you yeah, win, you've got to make an yeah. appointment. You, it's not as easy as it sounds, yeah. but uh, they, were, uh, they were very generous with us, uh, and uh, they donated some of the later yearbooks. And, and the older yearbooks, I, I don't want to sound this, make it sound uh, bad, but <sighs> the books from the 40s, a lot of those people uh, have passed on, and yeah. the families don't want the yearbooks. And yeah. So we, we, most of those yearbooks... 40s and 50s, we got maybe two or three. We keep an extra one up on the third floor. Uh, we've only had two that have been taken out of here in, in the 17 years wow. that we've been here. But uh, we, we 
try to keep an eye on stuff that it doesn't walk out. Yeah. But we're, we're, Do you we're proud of No, off the top of your head, the one that you're still missing? Maybe somebody watching this would be able to <laughs> um, provide it to you guys and know what year it was? Well, it's either 2001 or 2002. I, I'd have to go over there. Okay. And, yeah, but those are the two. Those two walked out together. <laughs> Someone then, didn't want to pay for it with the, their well, graduating class. No, here's the thing. You know we, who you are. We, we have a split <laughs> museum. We have the gallery. We're in here now. Yeah. We have the house. What happens... A lot of times we've got one host yeah and someone will come and they'll want to look at both buildings and if you have to come with them you don't want to seem like you're leaning over their neck right and there are times when somebody will sit there for an hour yeah. and look through books and if you think that they're trustworthy you might say well when yeah. you're done come over to the house 99 percent of the time that'll work once yeah. in 17 years we had yeah. somebody come in they liked those books so much <laughs> that they walked out with. Yeah. <laughs> if they had taken ones from the 40s or the 50s, we could have run upstairs and, and replaced it. Yeah. it. It doesn't happen much. Yeah. Uh, usually when we have a book over in our library over there, it's just that somebody took it out and then they put it somewhere else. It, somewhere yeah. else. And yeah. We don't have a librarian. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you go to Chester County to the Historical Society, you get a book, you don't put the book away. They put it away. Oh, wow. Okay. It, go, yeah. it goes back where it belongs. Yeah. But in our library, people go in, they'll take a book, and then they sit there and they forget where they got it. Right. They don't want to leave it on the table, so they stick it in somewhere. And then I have a, you know, a little bit of a time, uh, you know, trying to find it. Right. Another display, which is sitting here, is a, a display from Penhurst. Now, uh, Penhurst was built and opened in 1900, was built in, in 1904 to 1908. It opened in 1908. Penhurst opened. It was called the home for the feeble-minded and the epileptic. And it was uh, there was an act of the legislature in 1903 that actually brought this to, to come about. It sits basically in East Vincent Township. It's right outside the borough of Spring City. Mm -hmm. But our historical society is Spring City area, Spring, mm -hmm. Spring Ford area, which would be Spring City, Roars Ford, the surrounding areas. And it actually had an address of Spring City, PA. I live on Arch Street, and I'm a half a block out of the borough, but my address yeah. is Spring City. And uh, over the years, the, the people that were there were referred to clients, inmates, residents, retarded. There, uh, there were so many different words that were used. I don't mm -hmm. think the word retarded is used anymore, yeah. but I saw a big headline in a 1965 paper where they are having a home week for the retarded. I said to my wife, who worked there for 18 years, I said, when did they stop using that word? She says, oh, she says, it's a long time, long time ago. ago yeah. so, <laughs> but the bottom line is that the, the institution is closed now. But while it was there, it housed a total of like 3,000 people. It was as wow. big it was as big as Spring City was, wow. but it was up on, they call it Crab Hill, it was up on a hill, it was isolated, and uh, a lot of people didn't even know that it was there. I moved to Spring City in 1958, and I didn't even know that Penhurst existed, and I went to a Halloween parade down on Main Street, and I saw this funny-looking band. I, I shouldn't say funny. That's <laughs> that's not nice, but they, they, they had clothing that didn't fit, and they were playing music that wasn't quite to the level. And I said, what, what band is that? They said, that's the Penhurst band. 
I oh, said, wow. Penhurst what? They said, Penhurst Spring City. And they had a band and they marched in the parade and, and they were active. And then when, when I uh, joined the, uh, the Explorer Scouts and when I was in high school, uh, our, our uh, post went up on a visit and we visited the, the Boy Scout group up at Penhurst. That wow. was my first introduction uh, to, to going to Penhurst. Penhurst in the 50s was totally self-sufficient. They had their own dairy farms, pig farms. They had uh, the, all the, I say clients, all yeah. the people that lived there. They, they had workers and they worked for a boss and they worked the farms and they had a, a shop where they made wickerware. That's just a small part of what they had. It was a, it was a town onto itself, their own movie theater, their own wow. hospital. I mean, it was, it was a, an independent, functioning town. So Penhurst itself was like its own, uh, I mean, for lack of a, it was its own city or its own town of itself, uh, yeah. independent of Spring City, even though yeah. it was located it, it there. It was a, state, a state-run hospital. And it, there was a, a, a lot of concern. Some of the care, some of the uh, care of these patients was... Uh, not what you would desire it to right. be, and there was a lawsuit that was brought about, uh, and uh, there was a lot of publicity on television, and eventually it closed. Uh, what I will say to you, uh, there are many different points of view mm. on, on Penhurst, and uh, I was given the opportunity by Arcadia about doing a, a, one of the Arcadia books. I said, no, it needs somebody far more involved and, and knowledgeable than me, and Greg Pierman did such a book last year, a great publication. I could have not done it because I had certain views. Uh, for example, my wife worked on a ward uh, with about 45, she called them boys. These were yeah. men, but a lot of them had the mental age of a boy. Yeah. And she worked on a ward with 45 or so men, and there was her and one or two other aides. Usually one would be on break or whatnot. But they were on a locked ward taking care of these children, as she called them. And what used to get me was that many of them came from homes where you might have several family members and one person that was affected that needed special care, but it was too much for the family to cope with. So they placed them in Penhurst where you put 45 of them in a room with a couple people to take yeah. care of them, and then you say, well, the, the results weren't always desirable. And then you, you, you have phases. I mean, it was there for a long time. Right. Uh, they had the phase where they had them drugged, then they had the phase, they swung the pendulum the other way. Well, we don't want to give them any drugs. Now you, you see that they're a little bit hyper. I mean, it just, it's just crazy how they just kept changing right. the thing. We, now they have a... a the asylum. It's a Halloween yeah. attraction. Yeah, and very I'm, popular. I was, yeah, in New, I was in New Jersey and I saw a billboard yeah. for Penhurst Asylum, which I thought was crazy because it's over an hour away. But. And, and we, get, we get high school kids come here to the museum. I'm, oh, I'm so happy. They come to visit us. And what do they want to know? They want to know about the ghosts of <laughs> Penhurst. And I said, look, I said, we got books about Penhurst. We got all kind of information. I can sit here for an hour and talk to you about Penhurst. I said, but there's no ghosts at Penhurst. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. There, there aren't any ghosts up there. You know, you want to, you know. Oh, it, I spoke it, to uh, Bill Hoffman at the Spring yeah. City Hotel about the same thing. He said, 
He would tell people about the hotel, the history of the hotel, and all they ever wanted to know was, did you see any ghosts? Is there a ghost? Yeah. Well, I know, look, let, let's be honest. I mean, yeah. great, great Pierman did a great book. Anybody wants to read about Penhurst, you want to get a hold of his book. Yeah. But if you want to know about ghosts, then you got to go to some fiction writer. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing of it is, if I were going to do a book, I think I would do a book on a ghost at Penhurst. Yeah. It, it would sell. It would sell a lot. Yeah, it would for sell sure. more. It would. But it's a story. It's it's part of our history. Yeah. And there are some parts of our history that people want to forget. I don't think we want to forget it. And I don't think we want to paint a cloud of doom that it was all bad. It right. wasn't. My, my wife worked there for 18 years. She cared about her patients. She never struck any of them. She had her glasses busted twice. I mean, she was bit a couple times. Wow. There were dedicated people that worked there. And it's just not fair to the people that work there that cared about those kids to put them in all with a group. Because, you know, it, it's just... Yeah, the bad apples yeah, spoil it for everybody it, else. It, yeah. it, and, and that's really the way it is. Yeah. But it's, it's part of history now. And uh, uh, so that, that, that's where it's at. But, uh, you, you know, the subjects, the recent subjects are ones that, that people... Right, people will feel more of a connection to because yeah. they can remember, or at least they remember... Their, their parents or, right. you know, there's at least a, a, gen, a genealogical yeah. connection there. Um, I found that with even with this producing this show is that I've had some people reach out and say, like, I grew up in Spring City or I grew up in Morrisford and I live in Massachusetts now or I live in Arizona. Yeah. And somebody from their family who's still local shared it with them. And they're like, oh, this is so cool because I feel like it's still a connection. I would imagine that that would be a great, uh, an untapped, you know, a way that we could find, you know, obviously, hopefully, by doing this episode that people well, will be like, oh, wow, the Springford Area Historical only, Society. It only, so. it only takes a couple of, what I say, good people that are dedicated. I, I, I want to tell you a little bit, just a short story about yeah, sure. Joe Forrest. I was telling you about Joe before, these pictures up on the wall. About 14 years ago, Joe wandered in here, sat down, looked at stuff in the library, and then a couple of weeks later, he was back, and then he, pretty soon he started becoming a regular. And then he, he joined. He became a member. And our membership is $15. I mean, so you, get, <laughs> you get newsletters. You get the use of the... Now, it's free. Our museum is free. You can come over here. It's free. You want to give a donation? We'll accept it. You don't have to. Yeah. Our membership for one person for a year is $15. One limited use of the library. You know, we send four newsletters out. A year, we have four public programs a year. The public programs are free, but you get to hear about them right. through the newsletter. Joe came over, started hanging around. He became a member. Joe was very interested in family history and doing ancestry uh, research, and he did genealogies and he started. And I said, Joe, would you like to host? He was over here every every day that we were open. He might as, well, <laughs> might as well be a host. Right. So he became a host. He not only came in on the days that he hosts, he came in on all the other days that were open. He was here <laughs> on, when we were open Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, he was here. And at first he started doing the some of the, like the Gruber family, do, do a history on the Gruber, the Lewin family, the, the, the people that built this house. He did one on... Rogers family. 
He did one on the important people that had historical significance to the towns. But then he expanded out. And uh, Mr. DePetra Paul, his, his son, did a, a, a Boy Scout project. Mm -hmm. And Joe says, we don't have enough Italian families up there. <laughs> well, we got the DePetra Paulas and we have the DiGiuseppes and we have about yeah. four of them now. Joe was that kind of guy. And when people came in here and he talked to them and they wanted help with their family tree and he would sit down and he would show them all the things that we have. We have the funeral directories. He went around to all the cemeteries within about a 10 mile radius, photographed all the tombstones. Oh my word. They're on our computer. And when you type them in, you put last name, comma, first name, the computer puts them in alphabetical order. So he goes out and does 4,000 stones at Fernwood, and suddenly we have the names on our computer. And later on, we had a, a, a couple of Boy Scouts that did the, followed up the project, yeah. and they did a map, and they did a book. And we have wow. books on Fernwood and, and Zion. But Joe was just, he lived this. And as, as time went on, he took it upon himself to, to do all of these books. And we, I told Bob Hollenbach we had to increase our budget for the office to buy more notebooks than to buy more paper. And he was cranking out these books left and right. And uh, when he died last year, his wife, uh, Peggy, she came over here with boxes of stuff that he hadn't finished because wow. he had so many books. That, and right now... We have them upstairs. We have shelves in the archives room. We have a lot of his stuff that's up there. Needs to be sorted through. Some of it is incomplete. Some of it's near complete. But it could be put in albums with the family name on and it could be completed at a later date. Right. But right now, we don't have somebody that's in yeah. charge of family history. Yeah. And I mean, so... Uh, you have to rely on the books. Some of these books um, are on the computer. Uh, Ancestry.com has a, a you know the, the little icon, and he he put the information on. Some of them, the research that was done to put these books together is on the computer. So if you do a search, yeah. you can you can find that information. But Joe was one of these people that walked on. And in a few short years, was a board member. He became assistant vice president. He was an officer. He took charge. He was doing scheduling for people. When people didn't come in, he was, well, he was here anyway, but he yeah. did the scheduling. He, and, and it got to a point, I, I told you, it got to a point, and I, I wasn't jealous. I, I, was yeah. happy to, I was happy that Joe was here. Yeah. It got to a point where people would come in, and I'm sitting back, and I'm waiting for them to ask to talk to the president or talk to somebody that knows something. And I have people come in and they'd say, where's Joe? And I'd, well, he's over here. And they wanted to talk to Joe. And, wow. and say, wow, they're coming to see Joe. And, and, and I, wish that, I wish that he would have still been with us. Yeah. I wish that they were still coming to see Joe. But he was like one of those rare gems that walks in. And, and the funny part about it, I live... In Spring City, but I'm in East Vincent. Yeah. East Vincent, where I live, I'm a half a block out of the borough. I'm not Spring. I was. I went to high school. I was yeah. in Spring City. I'm out of the borough. 
My kids went to O&J. Oh, okay. I'm out of the borough. I'm a Springford fan. I graduated yeah. from Springford, but I'm out of the borough. Joe lived in, over here in uh, Trap. He, yeah. he, he's, out of, he's out of the borough. He didn't join Trap. He joined us. I don't know why. Yeah. But the two of us, I was sitting here one day, and I said, you know, Joe, I said, I'm president, and you're assistant treasurer. I said, we're not allowed by the bylaws. We're not allowed to, to hold office because we're not in the borough of Spring oh, wow. City. He said, well, what do we do? I said, well, I said, we have a very congenial board, and our treasurer's not in the borough, and there's a couple other people that aren't in the borough. I said, I think about half of them don't live in Spring City Aurora's Court. <laughs> I said, what we're going to do is we're going to change the bylaws. So we brought up a motion and we changed the bylaws that you don't have to live in Spring City Aurora's Court. We're going to have to pause our conversation right there and invite you to come back next week for the exciting conclusion of Discover Spring Ford's first season. It's hard to believe that we have 22 episodes in our first season. And it's exciting to think about what we have in store for the future. If you'd like to know more about Discover Springford, I encourage you to check out discoverspringford.com. And if you would like, you can support the show by sharing this video with your friends and family.